If you look around with this in first service, we are getting real close to pre-COVID. The past is in the past. <laughs> and God's people are, have come back and God is doing some wonderful, wonderful things. How exciting is that? All right. Well, listen, we're in like the next to last message in our Love It Ain't For series. And you know, I appreciate so much somebody wrote me this week and said you know, how much they appreciate this series. Uh, it's been a challenging um, series, which I think they all ought to be. And we got this 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Uh, these three, three things, you know, there's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And that's probably not any more bigger than when we talk about the church. Um, when, I, when I scheduled this, when I worked on this a while back, and I came up with this soon, you know, I like these little catchy titles. And uh, the title I came up with is really cute. It's really cute. And, and it, it was How to Keep the Honey in the Hive. Isn't that cute? Thinking about the church being the hive. How do you keep the sweetness and the love in the hive? That was so cute. Well, God decided he didn't like that this week. And so, you know, without much notice, he changed the whole first part of the message and, and really brought it home in a much aggressive way. And we changed it to salt life. Salt life. You know, back in the old days, um, even before I was born, um, back in the, like 2,000 years ago, you know, have you ever heard the saying, he's not worth his salt? Yeah, well, there's a reason why that comes along. Back in the old days, you see, salt was more valuable than gold. And so they would pay the Roman army in salt. You would get so much salt uh, as your pay. And, um, and so it was such a valuable commodity, that's what they did. And if a soldier didn't do his job, then he wasn't worth you know, his salt. Now, today, we think about salt and we think about french fries. You know, you think about green beans. You know, have you, ever opened, have you ever opened a can of green beans and just ate them? Dude, you have? God bless you, brother. We will pray for you. Listen, the green beans need two things. They need salt and they need pork. You need a slather of hog fat in your green beans. And it's like the Holy Ghost comes upon can I have a witness? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing um, what, what he does, you know. And so, and so salt is, we think of flavor today. But, but back in those days, because there was no electricity and no refrigeration, you know, you know salt was a purifier. There were antibiotics, and, and, and they would, if you ever got to, to the ocean with a wound and the burning sensation, that's the salt acting on the bacteria. And, you know, the purifying power of salt, we know spiritually, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It can purify a sin-drenched world. It can take a heart that's hardened and broken, and it can purify that. But also, salt was a preservative back then. No refrigeration. And so they would, they would come along and they would salt their meat down. It would last through the winter. And we know the preserving power. The preserving power. Listen, if the world needs anything today, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if, you, are truly, if you are truly concerned about our culture in America, if you are truly concerned with the cultures around the world, if you're concerned about the events of this world, the greatest thing we can do is spread a little salt around, the gospel salt, and watch as it preserves. But as I mentioned with, with, with food, you know, it's also flavor. You know, salt adds flavor to the world. And so what I want you to take home first off is salt life is church life, and church life is salt life. 
Just, you know, the purpose of the church is to preserve, to spread the message of, of, of preservation, to, to share the gospel of purity and purifying, and to spread flavor into the world. And that's why we need the church. I know a lot of people have determined that they don't need the church now, that somehow the church has become obsolete. A lot of, can I just be candid with you? A lot of people lost faith in the church. They'll tell you, I haven't lost faith in God, I've just lost faith in the church. And I somewhat get that. But what I know about life is that life can be hard. And people quickly realize just how much they need the church. Because the church life is salt life. Let me share something with you today that is nothing short than, than, than incredible. Um, so most of you, some of you know Kim Brazier. And boy, I guess it's been six months or a little bit more now. Um, Kim had open heart surgery, and I did the preacher thing. We went and prayed and asked God for a safe outcome. And I truly believe, you know, heart surgery is very common. And so, you know, I just believe God would do his normal thing, and things would go according to plan. Well, things didn't go according to plan. And uh, she had a very difficult time through multiple, multiple, multiple infections. And to be very candid with you, there were several times we didn't know if Kim was going to make it. Um, everything was, her kidneys were shutting down. She had to have a, a vent and trek put in because she couldn't breathe. Um, and honestly, she would tell you that she was discouraged, and rightfully so. It was a long, long, long journey. And we prayed for Kim. We prayed for her that God would turn this thing around. Well, long story short, I went over about two and a half weeks ago, maybe three, and walked in the room. And I was concerned because I was saying, how are we going to communicate with this trek in? Because she can't really speak well uh, with a trek in, if at all. And so I walked in the room, and there was a little white patch there. And she said, oh, Brother Wayne, I'm so glad to see you. And she was speaking. I said, where's your tray? Where's your thing at? And she said, they took it out. They took it out. I'm so proud. And I said, are you on oxygen? No, I'm not even on oxygen. It's amazing. My oxygen levels are normal. It was just a really, really cool moment. And the family had found out just like a day before. It was the day before I think it happened. And so, yeah, we just celebrated stuff. But it was, she was still in a very challenging place. She was on dialysis. There's a feeding tube in, and well, it's hard. Well, this Wednesday, really on a whim, I decided that I would drive over and see Kim again. It was on Wednesday. Um, and so we got over there, and I walk into the room, and there was this lady in the bed, and she is like smiling from ear to ear. And something incredible had happened, and I want you to hear her story. So, Eli, would you play the video, please? Good God Almighty! This is Brother Dwayne, and I have been over and visited Kim Brazier in the hospital, and I found a young lady who was pretty excited. Kim, what did God do for you today? Oh my gosh, God made me, let me stand. I stood for the first time, stood straight up, I just stood there. Oh, it was, it, Jesus is, is so good. I just can't believe how good God is to me. Everything I've asked for, God has done. I'm off of dialysis. I was going three days a week of dialysis all this time. And then all of a sudden my kidneys started working. And I haven't had to go to dialysis since for the first 
last five to six times. Yes. I yes. used. How many surgeries did you have, Kim? I had three that I remember that they went in and scraped, trying to get it out, the the infection out, yeah. and then. After that, I don't remember anything, but I had 12. My daughter and everybody tells me I had 12 surgeries. And the plastic surgeon is the one that saved my life. He put a flap on me up here on my shoulder, took skin from my knee, and hey, praise Jesus, it worked and it's working great. Amen. And I just. And he, it's just wonderful. So, so how many times did you stand today? I stood three times. Three times. Three times I stood right straight up, right off the bed. I stood straight up. I've been trying and trying. I've got a bad knee on the left hand, on the, the left side, and it's been hindering me. And I, I just prayed before they came in again. They were out there in the hall. And I just prayed that God would let me stand today. And I did. Amen. He's so good. Amen. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. Uh, what song did you have that the therapist gave you? This, they gave me Good God Almighty. By Crowder, right? By Crowder, yes. And I loved it. Amen. Made me feel like dancing. <laughs> she so, was dancing around the room. Yeah, so you think God's pretty almighty, don't you? I, I know he's pretty almighty. Amen. I know he is. Yeah, we don't want you to know we celebrate with you guys, and I can't wait to share this with the church family. So God bless you, Kim. God, God bless you all, too. Good God almighty, I hope you'll find me. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And then we'll have to put it on Facebook. I'm sure it'd be all right with Kim. We'll check and make sure. Uh, but anyway, so yeah. So, so this happened. And um, what she said off camera was, is that I just can't thank God enough for my church family. You know, the family, you know, because church life is salt life. And salt life is church life. Well, in the early church this morning for the first time, we had Jonna, Bill, and Gordon with us for the very first time. And as you know, he's been battling cancer now for months and has not been able to come. In fact, he's been a lot of time in the hospital, a lot of time with chemo. And they were here for the very first time. And their testimony is, I'm so grateful for the church family. Because, you see, church life is salt life, and salt life... Um, is church life, and it just that's just the way it is. And and then of course, you know, we had the death of Beth Monfort. Wilma's mom passed away, and at the casket that day, she told me, "Dwayne, I'm just so grateful for my church family." And then and then it was just this week that boys got back from New Orleans and and impacting lives there, and and they went down there and made a difference in Jesus' name, ministered in Jesus' name, and you know why they did that. Because church life is salt life, and salt life is church life. And, and just a few weeks ago, right about 1,000 people, probably 900, 850, 900, filled this room, and the gospel was shared. And it was just incredible. And to know that happened here through the help of so many different people who gave up and sacrificed is just incredible. And well, salt life is church life, and church life is salt life. And it's amazing what can happen... When we come together 
when we come together and do something in Jesus' name. So what, so what happened was, so, so God began speaking to my heart differently. It was really a totally different approach than what I had planned. And he led me to, to 1 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Corinthians, where did that come from? Matthew chapter 5. He led me there to talk about you know, what the church really is and talk about what the church is. And then on the end, we're going to tag in a few scriptures and talk about our part, our play in that church. Well, so Jesus is talking on part of his great sermon, Sermon on the Mount. And as part of that, now imagine all these people are out there. Some of them already are Jesus followers. They figured out he's the Messiah. Some haven't. But he speaks to the group as a whole as those who know him and those who will come to know him. And here's what he says. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And he's speaking and saying, you are the one. Keep in mind the context that he speaks this in those days. He's saying, you will carry the message of purification. That a man's life, woman's life, a child's life that is broken that is broken and, and full of sin can be made pure and can be made clean. Guys, no matter how much we mess up, no matter how far down the road we go, we can sit there and Jesus can come in and purify and cleanse us up. You're going to be that salt. He said, you're going to be the, the, the preservation agent in this world, a world that is so corrupt. I'm going to leave you here and you're going to come into this world and you're going to preserve the world. You're, you know, where, where corruption would reign, it no longer reigns. Not because of you, he said, but because of the power of the salt, the gospel-changing message. And he says, you're going to add flavor. When he says you are the salt, you're going to add flavor to this world. You know, the world is flat. Oh, not that way. The world is flat. The world so desperately needs good news. The, de- the world desperately needs good news. And he left, listen, listen, listen. He left the church here to impact. He left the church here to make a difference. And by the way, can I just say something, guys? Look at me. The middle school and high school here in Harrisburg needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Brent can't go in, I can't go in, but you guys can go in and you can be. You can be that salt in a very desperate situation where so many kids, kids are, are desiring to kill themselves. Kids are, are hooked on drugs. Kids you know, have no answers and they're frustrated. They don't want to do. They're in bad homes and bad parents. It's a difficult situation. And you guys can go and be salt. You can add flavor to that situation. You can add purification in that situation. You can help you know, purify and preserve that situation. You guys are so fortunate to be in that situation. You know, when you're looking for purpose in your life, boom, this is it. You can make a difference in the lives of those kids like probably nobody else can. You can be, like he said, the salt of the earth. But then he asks this really piercing question. He says, so... What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? What good is salt that no longer can purify? What good is salt that no longer preserves? And what good is salt that doesn't influence and add flavor to life? Well, he goes on and says in this verse, he goes on and says, well, frankly, it's just, it's just, it's no good, it's worthless. You might as well take it and throw it out there. Hey, throw it in your kid's sandbox because that's about all it's good for. Or throw it on a path and make it a sandy path. That's all it's good for. You know, if we lose our flavor, if we lose our influence, guys, listen, church, if the church loses its influence, if the church loses its flavor, we might as well be the Elks Club. 
We might as well be, we might as well be the, the Alliance Club. We might as well be some other social organization. But God, that is not what God called us to be. He called us to be change agents. He called us to make a difference. He called us to take good news. Good news. Would you please repeat in your brain again? Good news to this world. We've got to be sure that we sell that out. So let's look at our teaching point. This thing's full. The church is not a building. The church is not a building. You're going to hear this later on if we get that far down the road. Um, but here's the deal. You know, the church is not a place we go. The church is the people. The church is not a place we go. The church is the people. You know, when we broke, when we closed down for COVID, the church, you know, did not stop being the church. The building may have been empty. The lights may have been turned off. But the power is not in the building. The power is not in the lights. The power is in the people that come here and God uses. The church is the church. The church is not a building. It is people. But, but, but more than that, it is his people. His people. Um, remember we used this verse last week, 1 Peter 2, 9. You know, we talked about all these things that, that Peter says we were. But one of the things he says, he says, you're a peculiar people. And peculiar in a good way. You are a different people. You've got a, you've got a different reason to live. You've got different core values. You've got different ways you do things. Because God has made you different. God's made you different. We are His people. And I like this, this word image here. A group of salt shakers ready to be shook. As you look across this room this morning, and imagine another 30 or 40 or 50 people in first service, imagine that. And imagine yourself as a room full of salt shakers. And if you are Jesus' followers, the salt is in you. The salt of the gospel is in you. But here's the deal. Salt that remains in the shaker does no good. Salt that remains in the shaker is no good. You've got to turn that sucker upside down and shake it. And dude, that's when it makes a difference in your french fries. That's when it makes a difference in your green beans. That's when it makes a difference in your mashed potatoes is when you turn that shaker up and you start shaking that salt out. And I'm telling you, we ain't got to let God shake us up so that the salt can get out and change this world. That's what's got to happen. I'm just sure. I, 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 I saw chances, not for any particular reason, but I didn't make a big I'm going to make a big deal of this. Because I know I'm not the only one in the room that's still scratching their head over this old, whole COVID mess. You know, what in the world was God doing? I believe God was shaking his salt shakers. That's what I believe. He was, he was waking the church up from a time of complacency. He was, shake, he was taking this church and shaking his church so the church can once again make a difference. Now listen, don't you get sidetracked. Don't you dare get sidetracked. This thing's all about God. It's got God all over it. We just got to allow ourselves to be shaken. But there's something else. I, I, my house, I rarely use a salt shaker. It's not because I don't like salt. Ask Judy, she'll tell you, I like salt. Salt and I are good friends. Sugar too. But me and salt are good friends. I've got one of those things. I buy it from Sam's. It's about that tall, and it's full of sea salt. And the sea salt is coarse ground. Um, about the size of a, a big pinhead, I guess would be it, a large pinhead. And what you do is you take that thing and turn it upside down. But listen, when you turn it upside down, nothing happens. 
Nothing happens. But it's got a big old black head on it. And all of a sudden you grab a hold of that thing and you start twisting it. And the salt inside is ground up and falls freely onto the food. It probably is no fun when God chooses to shake us up. And it ain't no fun when he grinds us either. But if we are going to be the influencing power that God wants us to be in Harrisburg and in Illinois and the United States and around this world, we've got to let God shake us up and we've got perhaps let God turn his grinder out and grind on us. Because that is when we become salt. The church is not a building. It is people, his people, a group of salt shakers ready to be shook or perhaps ground down. It was, it is, and it will be God's plan to bring glory to his name and to reach his role for Christ. There, listen, listen, God's not saying, well, listen, am I, am I plan of things? Uh, the church is somewhere on the list. Listen, God's plan A is the church. Listen, let, let, look, at me, look at me. God's plan A is you, his ecclesia. His called out ones. And not just us, but every Jesus follower. We are plan A for God. And there is no plan B. And, and the work to be done is we've got to bring glory to his name and to reach this world for Christ. Listen, this is why we exist. Those are five huge words. Because we get confused. Well, why does the church exist? Is it to scratch my itch? Is it to make me feel good? Is it to have this program or that program? No, let me make it clear for you. Dorsfield Baptist Church exists at 1300 South Feasel Street for one purpose, and the purpose is to bring glory to the name of God and to reach this world for Christ. That's it. That's it. And see, when we, when we don't understand that, we become a consumer-driven church. And that's when the music's too loud. I don't like the music. It's too hot. It's too cold. I don't like this. I don't like that. We're, you know you're consumer-driven, and you know a church is consumer-driven when the most important thing is what people think. A church that is... Shoot that thing. The church that is Christ-driven, those are not the topics of discussion. Everything we do. How, how can we bring glory to the name of God? How, how can we reach this world for Christ? And when we're Christ-driven, that's the way it is. And, and we are Christ-driven when we understand we are the salt of the earth. And church life and salt life and salt life and church life are the same. We're here to spread the gospel of purification, the, the gospel of preservation, and the gospel that flavors the lives of people. There's a great, great quote. Many people, many people bring unrealistic expectations to church. They come to a church and they have expectations. Perhaps you come here recently or perhaps you've been here a long time. But you come to church with, with unrealistic expectations. See, here's something free today, but it really works. You know why so many marriages get in trouble? Let me tell you why. Marriages get in trouble because the wife expects the husband to meet all of her needs. And he can't. There's only one who can. 
That's good God Almighty. The husband comes into a marriage and, and he's, he's got all these expectations pinned up, expecting his wife to meet all his expectations, and that doesn't happen either. You know why? Because only God can meet those expectations. And then there's the church. People come to church and perhaps they meet Jesus for the first time or perhaps they've been on for a long time. And, and they come to a church and, and, and they go to church and they have all these unrealistic expectations and they're expecting the pastor or they're expecting the worship leader or they're expecting the brothers and sisters in the building to meet all their needs. And that's just unrealistic. Look, to expect any church to always do everything right and to minister perfectly to everyone all the time, it's just fantasy. You might as well go find a unicorn. It ain't going to happen. No church, no church. I don't care if it's a church across town. I don't care if it's a bigger church. I don't care if it's a smaller church. I don't care if it's got the best pastor in town. No church can get it right all the time. No, no, no church can minister perfectly to everybody. We're all going to mess up. A church can be and should be healthy. We could talk about that another time. A church can be healthy, but it will never be perfect. And God's perfect timing. Rick Warren did a whole series of devotions this week on the church. And I, I snagged that from one of his. So it's important that we manage our expectations. That we understand you know, again, that, that this is God's deal and not ours. And speaking of God's deal, that's exactly what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 16. This is a, again, this was not in the original sermon, um, but boy, it's one of those ones preachers love to teach, you know. So here's Jesus and the guys, and they're having, you know, a chat, you know, they're sitting and talking. And so Jesus asked this question, and he says in verse 13, uh, which we don't have up there, but he said, he said, so hey, you know, what's the word on this tree? Who do people say that I am? Now, this is a really important question. Who do people say that I am? Well, um, he said, well, you know, the word on the street is that you might be John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist by this time had been killed. And so maybe, you know, he was the ghost of John the Baptist. Okay, all right, well, okay. Well, well, some say you might be Elijah, and Elijah was a great miracle working prophet, and Jesus did a whole lot of miracles. And so they're saying, well, maybe, maybe you know, he's the, he's, the, he's the Elijah reincarnated doing all these miracles. And so I said, oh, 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 oh. Also, they say Jeremiah, Jeremiah the weeping prophet. And boy, if anybody knew compassion, it was Jesus. When Lazarus died, he, the Bible says Jesus wept. So, somebody, you know, someone always has the generic answer. Yes, yes. Uh, or one of the other guys, one of the other prophets. Okay, and that led Jesus to this. So after that spiel, he comes in with verse number 15 and he says, So he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now that you, that you is not like he's looking at someone and saying you. This you is, is plural. So he's looking at the group and he says, okay, so who do you say that I am? And then like, like wow, this is one of Peter's wow moments. You know, Simon Peter speaks up. And he says, well, here's the deal. You know, you are 
The Christ, the expected one, the anointed one, the one that we have, the Messiah, the one we have looked for for thousands of years. You are the Christ. But then, but then he does the big one. And then he says, the son of the living God. Whoa, this is huge. You, you know, you're beyond Elijah. You're, you're beyond Jeremiah. You're beyond, you're beyond other prophets or John the Baptist. No. You're the son of the living God. Wow. Well, yeah, that's an amen. Wow. In fact, Jesus was like taken aback in a good way. He says in verse 17, so Jesus answered and said, wow, wow. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. That's what that means, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Listen. You didn't have a mentor on this one. Hey, listen, you didn't, you didn't have a think tank and came up with this. Hey, listen, yo, you didn't ponder this and say, well, this is what I think. No, no, no. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, Peter had a direct revelation from God that Jesus was the Son of God and that he was the Messiah. The Messiah. This is huge. This is a, this is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 18, Jesus gives us this huge picture, huge picture, and it involves us. It involves us. Jesus comes and says, well, I tell you this, Peter. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, this has been a point of confusion throughout the ages. Okay? Many people, no, not many Certain denominations really believe that Jesus is saying, you are Peter, and Peter, on you, I will build my church. Folks, that's not even logical. In just a few weeks, Peter is going to deny he even knows this man. God is not going to build his church on a mere mortal man. So what is it, Dwayne? What is it? Well, he says... And, and by the way, there's a small play in the Greek on the word Peter. It means small stone. Uh, that's not important, but I thought I'd throw it out there. But what is important is the next word. You are Peter, and on this rock. See that word rock? That's the word Petra. Petra. And it's not the, the gospel rock or Christian rock group you know, from, the, from the 80s. Okay? You are, you are, listen, you are Peter. And on this rock, this, this Petra, this unmovable rock, and I love this word, it is a bedrock. Upon this bedrock. See, see, Jesus wasn't going to build his church on a mere man. He's going to build it on something solid. He's going he's to dig down, he's going to dig down to bedrock to build his church. So that brings the question then, on this rock, what is the rock? The rock is this. Get ready. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the rock. Now listen, I'll say it in just a moment. There's a slide coming up, but I'll say it now. Everything we believe hinges on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. God. You you can wiggle woggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you can wiggle woggle on some things. You can't wiggle and woggle on you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. There is no listen, there is no room for negotiation. 
People will call you a bigot. They will call you narrow-minded. But don't you budge on this one. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon that truth, the fact that Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, I'm going to build my church. See, we're, we're conflicted again because we think this is our church. I've been a Baptist pastor for 40 years, and we fought this one the whole time. Can I just be real candid with you? Sometimes I feel like this might be my church. Hey, preacher! It ain't your church! Hey, deacons! Ain't your church either. Oh, trustees? No. You may be the legal representative, but the legal right to this church belongs belongs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who owns this church. And, And people, and people, it ain't your church. It ain't your church. It belongs to Christ. He bled and died for it. Go get yourself to the cross and then we'll talk. Shed your blood and then we'll talk. No, it's Christ. We got to, Dwayne, you seem a little passionate about this. These are days we've got to understand a couple of things. We are his church, okay? But the church is his. The world needs Jesus desperately. And now is not the time to debate who owns the church. Jesus does. Go out there and tell those people that, listen, you serve a man who loved them and died for them. And tell them that you belong to him and he owns the church. And he was going to build it. He was going to build my house. And watch this. Watch, 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 watch. Now, now some of y'all all, all you've got your t-shirt all in a wag. Because you think things are out of control. You think stock market is out of control. You think politics are out of control. You think pandemics are out of control. You think everything's out of control. Hmm. You're a Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell cannot shall not prevail against it. Would you please understand something? God's got this. It's not about who's in the White House. It's not about the economy. It's not about the stock market. We may not like what goes on in the White House, and you may not like what happens in the stock market. And you may not happen, you know, if I don't like the price of gas, can I have an amen? But he's got this. And, and God did not call us to be on defense. He called us to be on the offense. Because you see, the gates of hell are defensive and not offensive. We, we, are, to be, we are to be charging the gates of hell, not running from them. Now, not in our old puppy pride but in the power of Christ. If we'll figure out that we're salt of the earth, and we'll understand that we are His peculiar people, people that sometimes need to be shook up or ground up, if we will, if we will understand that, that this is His church and His business, it's His kitchen, if we'll understand that, then we can charge, well, to use an old phrase, it's a cute little thing preachers throw around, we can charge the gates of hell with a word. 
because of Christ. But we've got to get this down. We've got to figure this one out. Because I promise you, if we don't believe that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, if we don't understand who we are in Christ and who the church is in Christ, we might as well take on a tiger barehanded. But with Christ, we got it. Actually, he's got it. We don't. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I don't know what's going to go on in this world. I don't know. I know we're frustrated. I know we're concerned. I get all that and understand all that. But I'm telling you, he's got this. He's got this. You can take it to the bank that God is sovereign. All we've got to do is understand who he is and who we are in him. And we are his ecclesia. We are his people called So when you're tempted to be consumer-driven, when you're tempted to say, yeah, but I don't like that, just remember, our mission statement is bring glory to the name of God and tell this world about Jesus. And nothing else matters. If we get that right, we'll hear well done. We'll hear well done. Bow your heads in prayer there. Wow, Father, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing this today. And God, I'm going to ask through the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, in your name I come, I ask you to reveal this to us, but burn it to our hearts. I pray for these young men and women on these first two rows. Their world is difficult five days a week, six, seven hours a day. I want to pray in Jesus' name for them specifically that there be salt and light in this world. I pray for the adults in this room as we go to different places of employment that will be salt and light. In our neighborhoods will be salt and light. Wherever we go and whoever we speak to, we will be salt and we will be light. I, I pray, Father, God, that we'll understand that this belongs to you. Should me, David, or Brent ever think that it belongs to us, Please forgive us and chasten us. Father, as we as a church, if we forget who this church belongs to, this ecclesia belongs to, remind us, we are yours, and we want it no other way. Jesus, you are enough, and you're all we need. So bless this time of decision. Father, if there's a need for someone put their faith and trust in you. May today be that day. Father, something that needs to be laid down this altar. If there's a broken heart, if there's a broken heart, a broken family, Father, please, let's bring it and lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Oh, may we assume the authority, may assume the power that you have given your people, not ours, but yours. I pray for that. Jesus, we're going to ask this boldly in your name because we know, yes, we know at the name of Jesus, your name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are.